Hello and welcome to episode 44 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and today's guest is the wonderfully joyous Dr. Ron Harvey. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. Now it's time to go off script and find out Dr. Ron's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome to the show this week's guest. It's someone that I've been looking forward to speaking to on the show for a long time. It is Dr. Ron. Hello, hello. Thank you, Ian, for having me here. It's very nice to see you and to hear your voice. Uh, well, yeah, it's great to to have you here to have this opportunity to chat. Someone that I have encountered a little bit here and there on the improv circuit, but not as much as I would have liked to. It's, it's really been an interesting experience over the past couple of years where everything has moved online. And so the networking has expanded, you know, uh, you know, just enormously, right? And so now there's all these communities and people uh, that you had no clue about. And now, you know, you see them kind of everywhere. It's, you know, there are people now that are globally known because of how yeah. things have turned out. It's really amazing. I'm not saying that that is, is about me, but we would have never encountered each other. If oh, yeah, I know. For, this, uh, for for the pandemic and things moving online. So in that, I'm, I'm very, very grateful. Yeah, it, it's just crazy how the, the world has opened up and all of these small communities have all created this one massive global community. And it's, it's been really exciting, I think. Uh, yeah, so, and, and yeah, just place uh, so the, the the improv community in Bangalore never knew it existed now I have friends in Bangalore yeah and Mumbai and in places in the Philippines in uh and now yeah it's just uh it's it's just really great and then just to see the different styles and how people uh, approach improv and the influence of playback theater and the various improv groups it's been really cool so Speaking of improv, that's what I, I like to talk about mostly. I like to find out people's journey into improv. I just want to start by asking you, how did you get into improv? So I'm old. Uh, I just hit <laughs> uh, 60 years old wow. this year. And yeah, I never thought in my entire life I would hit 60. Um, and I grew up in Chicago. Uh, I'm actually from Joliet, which is, uh, if you're familiar with the Blues Brothers movie, oh, yes. uh, one of the main characters, yeah, John Belushi's character is Joliet Jake. He's named Joliet Jake because Joliet, my hometown, is famous for its prisons. Uh, and uh, one of the opening scenes in the Blues Brothers is Jake coming out of Joliet Correctional Center. Uh, so I grew up in, in Joliet, but I've lived in Chicago for uh, many, many years. And most of my life, the my uh journey into improv started with me playing music. I was in a band okay. in the 90s for a long, long time. And uh, the lead singer of the band, who was also my girlfriend, uh, had she worked at a, an auction house. And this auction house employed uh, what I found out to be uh, several improvisers uh, who later became very, very famous. It was 
uh, in Chicago right now, a lot of improvisers work for Groupon, uh, you know, sales type jobs or yeah. tech, uh, uh, customer support type jobs. And at that time, it was this auction house. And she told me, oh, there's this new club that's opening up. This is in the mid 90s. I don't remember the exact uh, date. She said, but the, there's a new show that's going on at this club called uh, Improv Olympic. And one of my, my personal assistant is going to be in a show. Uh, his name is Kevin Dorf. And who's uh, who's fairly uh, uh, famous and has made a career in, in performing and acting and comedy, uh, and we're going to see a show uh, hosted by a guy named the uh, Armando Diaz, and it's called the Armando Diaz Experience. And it's like, okay, great. And I went, and we saw the very first show of the Armando Diaz Experience, starring uh, Armando Diaz at Improv Olympic. Wow. And um, and I remember going and I'd always loved comedy. I grew up with Monty Python and, and so on. And I just remember thinking, this is so amazingly great. And then we hung out with them afterwards. And we, so we were in a, in a you know, alt rock band in Chicago in the 90s when it was very hot. And these were all improvisers who were doing their own performance thing. And I just remember uh hanging out with them for several shows we went to a bunch of different shows and how supportive they were of each other and uh and it really made a big impression on me because the music scene in chicago at the time was very very cutthroat yeah. and i thought it would be so great if the music scene was as supportive as the improv scene and so we went to many many of these shows saw lots of different performers who uh later went on to to great things uh, and uh, and then uh, the band broke up. I stopped going uh, to uh, music shows. I stopped going to improv shows. And then many years later, uh, I had decided to go back to university and finish my degree, and I decided to get a PhD in community psychology. And if you've ever done any sort of advanced sort of degree or wrote a thesis, it's a very lonely, miserable process. And uh, this, so this is, this is around 2012, 2013. Okay. And I'm on a bus in Chicago and uh, my office mate said, you have to find something fun to do or you're, you're going to be mis so miserable. And I remember looking up at an ad in the bus and there was an ad for second city uh, uh -huh. improv classes. And I thought, oh my gosh, yeah, improv. I remember improv and enjoying that many years ago. Yeah, I'll go to uh, take one of these classes. It's cool. They have schools now. And I remember going uh, and it was fun and it did exercise a different part of my brain. Uh, but I also saw, again, this sort of nice community of support, you know, the whole improv thing of supporting each other and making each other look good. And I'm a community psychologist. We can uh, talk a little bit about that later. Yeah. Uh, but it's but it's all about how communities form, how they support each other, how they, uh, you know, what makes for a strong community and so on. And it just all kind of clicked uh, going to those short form classes. And then when I finished that, I went to I now IO, it had to be named IO instead of Improv Olympic and starting long form classes. And I really sort of found my niche and my family there. I really fell in love with improv, the whole thing about it. Uh, the performance aspect and, and everything else. So that's, and that's continued uh, to this day uh, from that re really taking those classes in 2012 and 2013. So you mentioned long form there. Was that 
the class that you took, it was a long form class. So the first classes I took was Second City's short form A through E. And, you know, so they, they take you through these different levels. Yeah. Uh, and after that, you can uh, uh, audition to go to the conservatory, which is really their sort of serious kinds of uh, improv classes. And so the classes I went to were all sorts of people who were either very serious and they were trying to get into conservatory and they were very good and they had been taking improv since junior high school right. in, you know, in the United States. Uh, and people like me who had never done improv before and just really wanted to learn how it worked. Um, but the, but again, uh, so I'm you know in a room with these people who know it very well and still they wanted me to look good. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, I like short form uh, a bit, but it was, you know, you have to be very, very quick. And it was a way of, it, it wasn't exactly my style at the time. I was very, very shy and uh, didn't, was, didn't think so fast on my feet. And so when I started to learn long form, I felt much more comfortable and that was much more my niche. Now I've kind of moved back to short form uh, as something that is much more fun for me to do these days. But uh, initially... Uh, I didn't feel quite as comfortable. I always felt uh, a little fidgety doing short form. It's interesting that you mentioned about improv just being so friendly and uplifting and supportive of each other compared to the music scene, because I used to be in a band myself and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's even when people are trying to help you, that they only want to help you to a point because they don't ever want you to outshine them in any way. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, people would, would tear down our, we'd, we'd be playing in the same club and people would tear, out, tear down our posters, even though we hadn't played there yet to put up their posters. And it's like, there's a whole wall here yeah. right, uh, that you can put things up. So yeah, it, it, it is a bit more cutthroat. It seems like it's a, uh, it seems more of a zero sum game uh and you know maybe the good thing you know nobody makes money off of performing improv and so because of that maybe it's much more of an equalizing sort of thing uh i don't know but yeah i, I i'm glad not glad you had the same experience but i'm glad to hear um that my experience was not an aberration i think that is kind of the nature of the music business yeah and you see there's always a lot of pressure to be the headliner as as the band or as a solo artist. And I actually would often prefer not being the headliner because when you're not the headliner, it's not really your responsibility to bring the crowd in. Yep. And also it's not your responsibility to have to lug all of your equipment there. Cause most of the time, certainly the venues I was playing, uh, it would be the headline band. They'd have to have their drum kit set up for everyone. They'd have the yep. main PA system set up for everyone. So I quite liked it when I, I wasn't in charge of, of all of that stuff. I could just turn up with my guitars, and uh, do my stuff with my band and then sit back and relax. And, and, and then during the show, if you were not the headliner, you could like be a little bit more loose and flamboyant, right? Yeah. Because you wanted people to sort of remember you. Um, and so it was kind of a fun challenge to, to do as well as you possibly can, but to try out things that you wouldn't, you'd be a little bit more conservative if you were the headliner. Yeah, definitely. And my band was kind of a, a pop rock band and it was nigh on impossible to get live music nights that wanted original pop rock music. If they wanted pop rock, they normally wanted you to just play covers. So my band was often playing on rock nights or indie nights 
and the crowd that we were playing to often wasn't really our sort of crowd. So we had to work extra hard to make sure that they enjoyed us. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'd like, hopefully, touch wood, they mostly did enjoy us and often would come up and say, you know, you're not really our kind of music, but we really enjoyed that. So that was always nice. Yeah, that is nice. What So what did, what instrument do you play? Uh, I am a singer guitarist predominantly. Um, nice. And my band, I would play all the instruments when recording. I would write songs in my bedroom and record everything myself. And then I enlisted uh, a drummer and a bass player at one point to sort of start making my songs more accessible to people. And then from there, it went from just being about them supporting me to us being like a, a proper band. Yep, yep, I get it. Um, and <laughs> it's funny with improv, you can't, um, you know, very often, you know, people, you know, people aren't chosen in an improv troupe to play an instrument. They're chosen to be who they are. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, uh, it's an emergent property of what happens during an improv show in an improv group. Uh, you can't plan it. You can't even necessarily look at the initial ingredients and know that that's how it's going to go uh, versus a band where you have sort of this vision and you want to have that vision sort of realized. And uh, it, it is two different things. And I, I enjoy both of them, but I sort of enjoy this sort of emergent property of improv now uh, where uh, you really truly don't know what's going to happen before, uh, before you do something. It's really kind of the, the fun mystery of it. Yeah, I do. I, I enjoy that challenge very much. And I think even outside of improv, I've always thrived on being in situations that rely on you to think fast and make that a good decision, specifically as, as a teacher, because when I'm teaching, I face something that I've never faced before pretty much every day. And I know that the way I deal with that is going to have massive impact on the children in the classroom um but in some ways i kind of like that challenge so to be able to just practice that skill all the time in improv i really enjoy yeah no i i'm totally with you so I, i'm a university professor and i teach psychology and about 70 percent of my lecture material is prepared ahead of time but i always leave that 30 percent uh, for students to ask questions and to uh, come up with some sort of exercise to illustrate some sort of uh, uh, psychology concept uh, without preparing it uh, ahead of time. And that's super fun. And that really keeps you keeps me on my toes. And it's it, it keeps that improv muscle uh, working as much as possible, right? which is really fun and really enriching to do. So I'd like to talk to you about the psychology of improv, because that sounds like um, it would be very interesting to look into. Well, the, uh, I'm teaching a class right now. Uh, it's a 300 level class. I teach un undergraduates at an international university here in Bulgaria. Um, and I'm teaching a class, The Psychology of Creativity. And the author uh, of the textbook that we're using, his name is Keith Sawyer. And he's, he's written a, a number of academic books about creativity and improv. Uh, and he has a popular book called Zigzag, which is, um, you know, sort of uh, a lot of these, uh, a lot of this research sort of condensed together. Yeah. Uh, but it turns out he was a piano player for Improv Olympic during the 90s. Oh, wow. And he was filming 
some of the groups that were uh, performing, uh, the famous ones like Jazz Freddy uh, and uh, the, uh, the family, and he would analyze the dialogue uh, that would happen in, uh, in, in, in right off to the side of the dialogue, what's happening here? What is sort of the themes that are coming out? And so he sort of did this as sort of this emergent property of theater uh, and sort of how it parallels with improvisational jazz, which is what he was coming from. Okay. And so from a psychological standpoint, uh, I'm interested in, in improv in terms of just uh, exercising your brain and generating uh, creative ideas. And uh, it's really interesting. I, I like to analyze improv scenes afterwards, not to think about what we could have done or anything like that, but like what sort of idea came out and what was sort of the weird, bizarre uh, fusing together of different ideas that made us want to be, to run an ice cream shop uh, underwater or something like that. What was sort of the things that sort of uh, led us there? And so I, I always think that's, that's really fun to do. Uh, and then the, the other thing that I noticed a lot with psychology was just uh, when people play characters, looking at personality theory and how, uh, you know, is this person an introvert, an extrovert? Are they careless, you know, high conscientious? Uh, are they agreeable? Are they disagreeable? And just kind of putting all that together and sort of mapping that onto what a real person would be like. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's uh, really fun to do. And, and those are the two psychology things I try to do okay. consciously with, with improv. And there'll be more that come out later, but those are the two I use most regularly. So sometimes I'm, I'm in scenes and I surprise myself, like something will come out of me and I'm like, I didn't even know I knew what that was, or I didn't know I had that in me to be like that or to say that. Um, what, do you think the psychology behind that kind of thing is where we discover new things about ourselves in scenes that we wouldn't expect beforehand? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's this in in any sort of creativity, uh, anything that you're trying to do that's creative, uh, you're going to be surprised uh, yourself. And usually, if if your experience is like this, let me know. Uh, it's not because you thought about it, right? Yeah. It's uh, it's something that's kind of been in there, and so. Creativity psychologists would, would call this uh, uh, incubation. So something, you experienced something, you read an article, you saw a movie, you saw something out on the street, you saw something that sort of made an impact on you, however small. Yeah. Uh, and it, it just kind of percolated in your brain uh, over days or weeks or months. And then for whatever reason, you're in this scene and your brain says, that would be cool to use. And it <laughs> kind of kicks it out and uh, uh, or it's some combination of things that you saw and you're completely surprised. And if you, I don't know if, if you've done this, but if you thought about where did that come from? It didn't come out of nowhere, probably. Yeah. It came out of some weird, maybe very, very minor experience or some sort of something that you read that made you think about this. And this happens with names or professions or relationships and things like that. So, yeah. um, that's that's my theory of where that comes from. Um, I, I don't know if that relates uh, to your experience, but when I, when things like that have happened to me and surprised me, it's like, oh, I can sort of trace that back to where that was, where that originated. That's interesting. Thanks. Um, and you said you're in an international university. Something I'd like to ask you about 
that is certainly when I teach and I'm teaching young children, but the, the principles are still the same. When I teach without realizing I draw on cultural influences a lot and I draw on colloquialisms a lot. And then I find in my improv, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. And I, it, it's, I'm improvising with these people that are from generally the same area when it's in real life and we all know the same things. But then because of online improv, the world has opened up and I've been in scenes where I'm like, wow, there's so many different cultures and things that aren't known being thrown into scenes that are getting lost. Um, so when you're teaching in an international university, I'm assuming you've got um, sort of students that you're teaching from various different places in the world. Uh, do you ever find moments where you're drawing on references that people don't understand? So, yeah, so no, it's a great question. So my university is about half Bulgarian okay. Uh, okay. and then the other it's about and it's about a thousand students and the other half are from uh, other parts of the world, mostly Eastern Europe. So Romania, Albania, um, Ukraine, uh, Russia, we're, we're starting to get more students from Central Europe, Uzbekistan um, and, and, and those areas, but all, usually former Soviet uh, or, or socialist countries from uh, that were uh, part of, of that world uh, in prior to 1990. And so uh, for me, a community psychologist and just a psychologist in general, yeah. in any one of my classes of 30 students, I'll have anywhere from five to 12 different nationalities represented in that class. And for me, that's like gold that dropped from the sky. And so I try they specifically come to the university to get an American style liberal arts yeah. education. Uh, and, you know, everything is taught in English, but I uh, try not to refer to too many uh, uh, American things and try to draw out uh, things that uh, from their culture that sort of informs everybody else. So for yeah. example, you know, what is funny? Uh, I just had students write uh, in Psychology 101, it's the intro class, we're talking about language and language acquisition. And I had them write an essay about words that exist in their culture that don't exist in English, or words that exist in English that don't exist in their culture. And uh, to describe what the, the phrase is, why it's useful and why you don't think it exists in that language. And so I get a lot of, it's really, really interesting. So uh, so I try and borrow from their things uh, more than I try to refer to my, my own culture. But it always makes me realize that I'm an American in front of these students in their home country or, or very close to it. And so I'm kind of the guest here. And so I learn as much about my culture being a fish out of water uh, compared to their culture. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, and, and try and bring that up. So for example, uh, in Russia, there's no equivalent for the word suck. So like, you know, that sucks, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that music sucks or something bad. Happened. Oh my God, dude, that sucks. And, um, and, and this, this person <laughs> wrote this great essay uh, about sort of the equivalents, but it doesn't really capture these things that, um, uh, you know, that that phrase uh, gives to her. And so she uses it quite a lot. Um, and then uh, things from uh, Russian and Bulgarian, you know, that I've learned 
usually the words about people and uh, you know a certain kind of uh, style of interacting with the world. And it's because histories, you know, are very, very different. And, you know, their approaches to things are very, very different. But also I'm old. I don't know what's popular in music these days. I don't know what they listen to uh, in terms of music and things like that. So uh, we we try to keep the cultural references to a minimum, but I do talk about cultural differences and how they sort of rub up against each other because they inevitably do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... You mentioned earlier being from Chicago and simple things like America is so big, like, so yeah. Chicago is, is massive yes. as, a, as a state and I'm from the UK, the UK is teeny tiny. And then I'm from Wales, which is even teenier, tinier, which is in the UK. And so in America, you can be, you can be big in a particular state for maybe you're a band maybe you're like a tv presenter that just presents in that state and you can you can be massively well known in that state and then in my country you could be famous in the entire country but still not as famous as that one person in that one state because that state is so big yep yep yeah no it's the the big fish in a small pond and you know small fish in a huge pond yeah phenomena that happens and you know in my band in Chicago, there was loads of bands that were competing. And so, I mean, we headlined big clubs, but we were you know, nobody you know, <laughs> at, at some point. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, there, it is the phenomena of, you know, being, um, you know, in, 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 in Bulgaria here, it's a, it's a pretty small country, but, you know, still it's 7 million people. Uh, and but it's it's smaller than the, the size of the Chicago metro area in terms of population, and um, you know so uh, you know I, I I don't know how to to, to think about that uh, other than the really nice thing is uh, you know when I came to Bulgaria uh, for the first time in 2007, um, you know the the area of research that I work in, which is you know how people recover from addictions and then transition from uh, treatment back into communities, there was nobody doing that work here. Uh, And, you know, fast forward uh, 13 years, 14 years later, uh, I'm still one of uh, a very few people doing that work, but it's starting to take root here. And so in the nice thing about being in a small pond is that you can actually make a big impact, uh, which is something you can't do uh, I'd, I'd much rather work uh, in Bulgaria or in uh, another country, smaller country in Europe, than try to, to do things in the United States because there's just so much stuff happening. And you, and the, the opportunity to, to make an impact is much smaller. And it's the same in the improv community, right? We, we all know of people who were the first person in their city or the first person in their county to start an improv group yeah. or an improv jam or an improv school. And it's sort of taken off from from there. And they've really changed the culture of that community. Uh, And it happens in the United States in in smaller towns uh, that you hear about it, but you don't hear about it happening in an entire uh, country like you do here. And so I'd much much rather have, I'd much rather be a big or a small fish in a small pond than to be, you know, the, the, the tiny, delicious fish in a giant <laughs> pond with lots and lots of sharks and other hungry fish swimming around. 
That's a good analogy. <laughs> uh, so in Bulgaria, is there much of uh, an improv scene? There, there is a, a well uh, established improv scene. Uh, so I'm uh, good friends with uh, 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 the uh, creative director and the founder of the long form community here called Shizzy Pro is the name of the theater. And it's been around for seven or eight years. Uh, and it was a, a split off from the uh, first uh, improv groups that started with short form about 10 years ago, 11 years ago now. Uh, and so uh, is it big? It's not big like Chicago. Uh, is it healthy? Uh, it's healthy among a certain group of people and, and young people. People see the value of, of improv training and so on. But you know, it's, it's not like Chicago. So when I moved here, my improv experience dropped off quite a bit. Um, but we've had uh, the, the director, his name is Latin uh, Zvetkov. He has hosted uh, four international festivals uh, here in Sofia. Uh, and, you know, they, they've gotten bigger and better and larger uh, every year that they happened. Of course, it stopped uh, because of COVID. And, uh, you know, he's uh, just done a tremendous job uh, building the community here and sort of spreading uh, that good word. Uh, there are other groups that do short form and uh, do more corporate type things uh, in in the actor school. So uh, it's it's healthy and it's growing, but it's growing slowly and it's taken a big hit because of COVID, uh, yeah, because yeah. Uh, the performances have have dropped off to almost nothing. Um, so uh, I am happy to say that at my university we started the first, as far as I know. Uh, University Improv Club uh, in the Balkans, and uh, we've we've we started meeting in 2018 and 2019, uh, and then of course it dropped off because of COVID. And we've met a few times uh, this semester, and it's mostly uh, women, uh, which is great, and they're the ones that really pushed for this to happen. And it's been really fun uh, to see them, uh, and we just play short form games uh, and have fun, and just to learn the improv principles from there. So is English quite prominently spoken in Bulgaria? Not as much as it is in uh, in like, you know, Northern European countries where yeah. uh, you really have to be bilingual. Uh, among young people here, yes. Uh, but among the the middle and older population, it, it's, it's still pretty rare. Uh, Bulgaria is not a, a cultural hotspot for foreigners to come and live. And so uh, tonight, it's Friday, I'm going to go uh, and do an improv jam. Uh, we try and do this every uh, Friday uh, since we we're allowed to uh, because of COVID uh, with English speakers. And it's a, it's a group of people from the UK who live here, but it's mostly Bulgarians who come in. Okay. Uh, and because there's not this core of the expat community, there's not a lot of English speakers who want to do uh, improv. But I'm very grateful that this group uh, has it every, uh, every Friday. So no, not not really. There's not a lot of great English spoken here, especially outside of Sofia, which is the capital city. Okay. And are there groups that exist that do improv, but they do it in their native language there? Yeah. So the uh, Shizzy Pro does uh, most of their performances in English, uh, except during the jams, okay. uh, or I'm sorry, except during the festivals uh, when they they do some performances in English. Um, but yeah, the the performances are done in Bulgarian. Awesome. So during the pandemic, 
you've been doing the rounds, getting involved in all sorts of online jams and classes and things. Is it something that you're going to continue to do moving forward? You're going to keep looking for online things to connect? Yes, uh, I think I don't think we're ever going to go back to uh, uh, in real life exclusively with improv ever again. I think yeah. Uh, yeah. it's going to be hybrid from now on um, because the, the benefits are just too great, right? Uh, any, you know, pretty much uh, at any time, I could join an improv jam anywhere in the world, no, no matter where it is. Um, you know, we there are spreadsheets that are floating around the internet that just have all of the jams from all over the world uh, that are happening. And also just uh, people want to attend classes, but they don't want to fly. Uh, you know, I know Copenhagen just had their improv festival. Copenhagen's an expensive place uh, to get to and to stay at. Yeah. And so uh, I think... Uh, if you can offer your classes in a hybrid uh, format as well as live, uh, I think that would uh, really benefit people. I mean, thing, people want things to move back to uh, real life, of course. Uh, that is you know, how we normally interact with the world. But I think there's always going to be some bit of hybridness happening just to reduce costs and to increase the number of people who can participate. Because you've, you've probably noticed this, that the number of people who can participate now yeah. has increased massively, uh, massively. Yeah, massively because of uh, online stuff and they don't want that to go away. Yeah. And I think, so I've seen with some online drop-ins that I've been going to that, although it still exists online sometimes because the rest of our lives have become very busy again, it's not as always easy to commit to those regular sessions because some people are trying to get back to in real life improv which is great but then it might be an agreement with their partner and it's just like well you can only do it once this week dear you know you can't be going out and, or even staying in and doing it all so sometimes they might have to pick oh do i want to go to the in real life this week do i want to go to the online this week yeah. so even though it's very accessible sometimes it can still be hard now the rest of life has started to pick up again. Yes, and and you can see uh, in some of the online communities, you see the jams are much smaller, uh, but still there are members of the improv community in other places that I know will be at this particular jam or will be in this class. And I will join simply because I want to talk to this person yeah. uh, who I would just normally, uh, maybe I'll never meet them, I hope I, uh, meet uh, these people someday, but some of my favorite improvisers are in Scotland or in uh, uh, in the U.S., um, in Germany, et cetera, et cetera. And so just being able to uh, participate and, and play with them is just a huge uh, benefit of the online thing. And so I personally hope it'll never go away. Uh, but if there's, you know, a one, you know, big online improv jam, per month that is international and worldwide, uh, you know, I think that would be great. And I think people will want to keep that going. Oh for yeah, sure. definitely. If anything, just to keep the connections, like you said, there's, there's been so many wonderful connections made during this time. You know, I have had a smile put on my face by people all over the world. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And there are things you can do with online improv that you just can't do in real life. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm speaking to you on a, on a larger laptop, but I usually do uh, 
uh, jams using a, a very portable laptop and I put it in the fridge, you know, for, uh, you know, if, if, if the scene needs it and, or go into the shower with it uh, and just move it around the room and you can use the space yeah, uh, yeah. that really exists uh, in a way that you just uh, can't with, uh, with, you know, in live, uh, live improv. And so uh, it's just a nice thing. And then there are other skills that you have where you just have to be really clear uh, and really uh, reach out and connect with people, which uh, for some people uh, is not so natural. Uh, for uh, introverts, it's a little bit nicer because you can, uh, you know, you have this distance, but you can really uh, control sort of the connection and how quickly it happens uh, over uh, the internet and over Zoom a bit better. So yeah, I think it's going to stick around for forever, I hope. One of my favorite things which is kind of exclusive to the online improv is just the fact that you can just use whatever's around you and surprise yeah. people. I always have a little bag. I've got wigs and props and all sorts in this little bag. And I love switching on and I've got a wig on or I've got some kind of prop. It's great. Yeah. I mean, Bulgaria is famous for its tomatoes. And so out in the other room, I'll have my tomatoes and I'll just bring up a tomato all the time. So now it's a joke. Right. But, uh, you know, but people will say, hey, you know, could, uh, if only there was a tomato in this scene. And it's like <laughs> that there's always there's, there's almost always one on hand here, um, which is I mean, I know in in real life improv, you could literally grab, you know, and say, no, oh, this is a tomato and stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's funny just to see it uh, and, and brought into the cameras. I think that's really fun. Yeah, and I've seen there are some people that have got a particular wig or a particular prop, uh, like you said about the tomato, that has kind of become famous in its own right. And yeah, it, it might get a little cheer if, if, oh, yeah, he's got his curly wig on again. There's I've got this little uh, cardboard cocktail glass in this little tiara that I, I'll bring out sometimes. And like, some, I, I might not even do anything. I could literally just sit there on camera and just be silent and people would laugh because they love that I brought out the little cocktail glass in the tiara. Yeah, I mean, and I have objects that are just waiting to be in that perfect improv scene online that I'm not gonna reveal now, but <laughs> yes, I, ha I have a couple objects that I have set aside and say, oh God, I can't wait to use this, uh, this object. But when it happens, I hope it gets a laugh. And <laughs> as a musician, have you done any musical improv? Uh, I've taken a couple classes, uh, you know, in musical improv, uh, just to learn it. It's terrifying um, mm -hmm. for me uh, because, I mean, it, it requires singing. I, I have sang in bands in the past, but I'm not terribly confident of my singing. So, uh, uh, so I've done very brief uh, musical improv stuff, but I've never done an improv musical show. Uh, I would love to get up to that point someday, uh, but I, I took the class because it was terrifying. It was a it was a nice skill to learn. I don't know how you feel about musical improv, but when you go see a musical improv show that is great, it is truly magical. Uh, how how great and fun it is! And so I love uh, going to uh, festivals and watching the class graduation musical improv performance because uh, it's really fun and really impressive uh, to watch. Uh, and I hope to get to that point someday. I, in my head, I 
I feel like I should be better at musical improv. I've not really properly done it. I've not gone to any classes, but sometimes in drop-ins, I'll just sort of grab my guitar or ukulele and, and I'll make something happen or just freestyle something. Uh, but my partner, Seki, and I, um, we we play little games about the house sometimes, little improv games. And one of the things we like to do is the hoedown because we want to get better and we will <laughs> we will just sort of give each other topics and sort of, right, give me a hoedown about this. And I just, in my head, I, I should be better at it. And I struggle sometimes. And then I beat myself up and I'm like, why can't I do it? Because normally rhyming isn't an issue. I'm really good at rhyming. I can, I can make songs out of nothing normally, but just that pressure of saying, right, you need it right now and it, and it has to be good. Yes, yeah. I, well, I don't know if you've ever taken a uh, musical improv class. Uh, I was lucky enough to have Sasha Hodemaker uh, teach a class uh, to me from, uh, he's from Amsterdam, uh, or he, he lives in Amsterdam and it, it took the class in uh, Romania in, in the Bucharest festival. Uh, but they, you know, it can be taught and they, there were certain, you know, uh, anchors that, you know, really helped me out a lot. But as a musician, we don't use anchors. Yeah. As a musician and a songwriter, right, we think this stuff out. So uh, it's, it's, uh, this this is like interference. It's like, well, I know it's musical. I'm a musical person and I sing lyrics and stuff like that. But it's that discipline that you know is interfering with this other discipline that is so closely related, but it's it requires a, a completely different philosophical approach to it. Yeah. And so you have to sort of break that link to it. It's like if you, if you studied psychology, uh, a textbook, and then started reading a sociology textbook, the, the two things would most likely interfere with each other because they're too similar to each other. And that's probably what's happening uh, yeah. I think in your brain. I'm, because, oops, sorry, there is- um, No, no I'm, I'm, I'm just <laughs> apologize for being pretentious to tell you what's going on in your brain. <laughs> See, as a musician, there's a, there's a certain freedom if you're a songwriter and you're making something up. And I used to, as my sound check, I would often, when I was doing solo stuff in particular, I would go out when there was a bit of an audience there and my sound check would be me making up a song on the spot. And I might ask someone in the audience for like a prompt or something. And then I would just make up a song and then they could get my sound levels. And it was always very fun, but I was in control of the song because I didn't know what the song was going to be. But I think musical improv, sometimes what gets in my head is the format. Yes, you're making this up, but you're doing this type of song. So there's a format to it. So you're forced into that little box whereas when you've got the freedom to completely create the music as well as the song and um, that's a different ball game i think yep and it's and it also involves a conversation i mean if you're doing this with seki right you have to interact with each other yeah and most of the time it's a when you perform uh as a musician it's a one-way uh you know communication and you know people respond to it but you don't you're not going to change alter the course of the song necessarily because somebody in the crowd says yeah you know or uh or anything like that and so yeah I, I yeah I don't want to presume what's going on in your head but uh I would suspect for for me it's always uh it's always this this thing that I know I know what how to do this I just don't know how to do this yeah right they're just they're just too similar uh, but the difference that makes it different is so fundamental. Um, that's that's what I need to work on. Awesome. 
Well, it seems like a good place to, to bring this to an end. Uh, but just before we finish, do you want to advertise where people can find you to connect with you to improvise? Yeah, so I, I, I mostly use Facebook uh, now, uh, Meta, uh, as my uh, main uh, social media. Uh, but I'm also on Instagram at Harvitronics. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Harvitronics. Uh, I'm, I'm not particularly active. I, I still can't get my head around uh, the whole purpose of Instagram. Uh, but if you uh, want to get a hold of me, uh, Facebook is probably the best way to go. And I'm uh, just Ron, Ronald Harvey uh, or Ron Harvey. And if we're friends, we probably have mutual friends and you can probably. And I almost always say yes, uh, if you want to be my Facebook, Facebook friend. Awesome. Yeah. Second, I laugh all the time about Facebook because we've got since improv went online we like doubled our friendship <laughs> list on facebook and all we have to do is check if we've never heard of this person we'll just click and see the mutual friends and it's like oh yes they're an improviser let's add them it's fine yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and it's really nice because they're they could be doing stuff that uh that looks cool or they'll invite you to a jam and yeah. you know you just uh your circle of friends uh just get gets a lot bigger but because they're improvisers and my experience is that improvisers are pretty decent people yeah and so your your social circle gets bigger and usually better uh, as a result of that 100 percent. right then it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much for coming on thank you so much ian and uh, my best to uh, liverpool comedy improv cast Well, thank you so much to Dr. Ron for coming on the show. I was super excited when I knew that he was interested in coming on the show. And then when we agreed to make it happen, it was just, yeah, it was just something I was really looking forward to because in, in, in the improv world, there's so many improvisers I haven't met at all or connected with in any way. Uh, and some of those people I'm not aware of and some of those people I am aware of because I've, I've seen their names here and there, uh, but I've just not interacted with them. And Dr. Ron is someone that I've had limited interactions with, but anytime I have had anything to do with him, uh, he's just seemed so warm and friendly and uh, just, just like a really nice person that makes you want to play with him when we're, when we're in jams where we've encountered each other. And I asked him to come on. And as always, when I ask people to come on, I am eternally grateful when people agree to come on the show. And part of the show is to, well, I guess the main reason for the, the show is to help us get to know the people of the LCI community better. And Dr. Ron and I first encountered each other at an LCI jam last summer, I think it was. And then I'd seen him in a few LCI jams and, and other jams here and there. And what I love about the show is that exact reason. So this show is to get to know the improvisers that have been involved in LCI in some way or improvisers that have got interesting stories to tell us about improv that perhaps haven't quite made it to a, a, a jam at LCI yet but are still a people that are worth listening to in the improv circuit. And I go into these interviews knowing quite often very little about who I'm speaking to and I just hope that when we go live that the conversation that we have is hopefully going to be something worth listening to and 
I love getting to the end and just feeling a sense of, yeah, that was great. And the reason that I feel like that when I finish these chats is because the people that I'm getting to speak to are great. And Dr. Ron was a perfect example of that. Someone that came on, we didn't know what we were going to discuss. We knew we were going to discuss improv and his journey into improv, but where we go from there, who knows? And we spoke for about 45 minutes and it was just a joyous conversation. What an interesting person with a really interesting life that he's led. And I love that people just come on and they're open and they're honest and they tell us little bits about their life. So I hope that you feel that you've got a good insight into Dr. Ron from that. Some of you will be in the same boat as me that you might have encountered him a little bit. Some of you might just be familiar with his name and some of you won't have heard of him at all. But hopefully now you'll keep an eye out for him and you'll think, yeah, yeah, that's that's someone that I would like to improvise with. So do keep an eye out for him. I've been speaking with some friends from LCI recently uh, about some of the guests I've had on and it surprises me sometimes. I've said, oh, I've got so-and-so that's going to be uh, next week's guest. And people have said, oh, I have not come across that person. And then it's baffled me because I'm like, well, I've just encountered him at LCI drop-ins most of the time um, over the last a year and a half or whatever it's been and there was a time where I was doing every class possible during that lockdown I was I was at LCI like about four times a week whatever was available I was there and I got to meet a lot of people that way but then there are some people who I thought would know each other but have not connected at all and I, I just think it's fascinating that there's still so many awesome connections even within our little community that haven't quite crossed paths yet and I love that this show gives people an insight into perhaps some of the people that they're yet to encounter or the people that they've encountered just a little bit and you get to know them on this show like I knew who Dr. Ron was and I knew that I got really good vibes from him when I had encountered him in sessions and I've come away from that just completely feeling really happy and positive knowing that it was a really great chat and I hope that there was something that you could all take away from that chat Uh, aside from just uh, how lovely uh, he is as a person and how open and fantastic he is he touched on some really interesting topics and I hope that those topics are something that might perhaps get you thinking and don't forget if you do get thinking some certain topics to do with improv then I would love to get you on the show to talk about it so if you are a member of the LCI community and you would like to be a guest on the show then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we will make the arrangements as soon as possible now that could be to talk about yourself or as I said it could be to talk about particular topics in improv I'm doing my best to to get through the, the people that have contacted me and we've got some some good conversations still to come welcoming welcoming back some previous guests to talk about particular topics so i'm excited for that and i hope that you 
keep coming back every week and listening to uh, what we're putting out there for you. Now, if you're interested in getting into improv or are already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram we are at Live Comedy Improv. We also have a Facebook page that I would ask you to go and check out and uh, like the page, share the page, do whatever you can on the page. Just search for Liverpool Comedy Improvcast and you'll find on there there's a trailer that gets posted every Thursday for the upcoming episode and then every Monday we post a link to the episode. And yeah, just whatever you can do to support the show, spread the word, we would really appreciate that. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts, I I do ask that you leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And if you're interested in all things me, then check out Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Ian Luke Jones or at Ian Luke Jones, and you'll find me on there. Head over to my YouTube for a humorous moment every Wednesday. It's just a silly little joke. Uh, that will hopefully put a smile on your face and help get you over that midweek hump. There's also plenty of other things on there, and Christmas is just around the corner, so you might want to check out uh, my previous uh, Christmas songwriting um, escapades, which uh, you can find on YouTube. That's work I've done with um, children in the past, writing charity records, and uh, there's some songs I'm very proud of, so do check out those songs on my YouTube. And that pretty much brings us to the end of this week's show uh, again just a big thank you to Dr Ron for finding the time to uh, make this chat happen it was a great chat and I'm super excited for everyone uh, that's listening to have listened to it because if you're at this point then you have listened to it right because you're right at the end so well done for making it this far um, that's it but before I go here are some words that are wise 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 Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv, and yes, and...